Thank you, Brian. <clears throat> Praise the Lord for your gift, that's for sure. Uh, this morning, we're very privileged to have with us uh, Dr. Steve Davis, who is a friend of mine, who is a vice president at the North American Mission Board. Uh, as uh, when I served as a trustee for the past eight years, got to know him, and uh, just fell in love with him and his wife, Diana, who's here as well. Yesterday, they were here, and they were uh, leading our deacons and the deacons' wives in a deacon retreat. They used to see some of our deacons around uh, holding a G and a W uh, bucket. And you can ask them about that, and they'll be glad to give you some information about that. But, uh, but nevertheless, we had a great day yesterday, and so we're so thankful for them being with us. And right after the 11 o'clock service, when that's all done, they've got to scoot along and uh, fly back down to Pensacola, I believe. So we're going to pray for them as they travel. But I know that you want to welcome Dr. Steve Davis to the podium today. So let's give them a warm welcome today. Thank you, Pastor. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much. You, you're you're way, way too gracious. Uh, we've had a great time with your deacon and wives this weekend. And, of course, we uh, already knew Pastor Joey. And then we also know uh, Pastor Joe as well because um, he was in Indiana when I was serving as the executive director for the convention in Indiana. And uh, that's how we got to know him and his precious wife, Allison. And at that time, uh, they weren't married and now they're married. They've got three kids. So it's, uh, you know, things change in a hurry, don't they? And they can change in a hurry. But uh, we really love your, your pastor and your staff and Angie and, and all that they're doing here in the life of this church. We thank the Lord for how he's at work here. And I trust that this morning will be an, an encouragement and a challenge to, to all of you as you um, spend these few moments together in worship in the word. I'd like for you to just have ready in your, your Bible, Romans chapter 10, verses 14 and 15. That's the passage I want to look with, uh, with you this morning. And, uh, and the, the title of the message is Whatever It Takes. Uh, that's sort of our theme at the North American Mission Board. Uh, whatever it takes to, to get the gospel out, to penetrate North America with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And one of the primary ways we see that as happening is through church planting. So we've placed a, a very, very strong emphasis on church planting. And um, I want to say up front to you as a congregation, thank you for your gifts through the cooperative program and the Annie Armstrong offering for North American missions. Because without that, we would not be able to do what, what the Lord has been able to do uh, through the North American Mission Board these last uh, several years since Dr. Ezel came to be our president uh, six years ago. Um, when he came, about uh, 26% of the North American Mission Board budget was allocated toward church planting. Now 58% of our budget is allocated toward church planting. We have 32 what we call SEND I'm saying that real carefully, cities. You know, if you say it too quickly, it sounds like I'm saying sin cities, you know, and you immediately think of Las Vegas or someplace like that. But they're sinned cities because we want to send as many church planters as we can into these most unreached areas of North America. And through your gifts through the cooperative program and the Annie Armstrong offering, you're, you're helping us to do that. Our goal each year is to plant 1,200 new churches across North America. That means every Sunday between 20 and 25 new churches are starting. So 
if you just do this, it, you, sometimes uh, we have churches we call sending churches, which uh, sort of adopt a church plant and take responsibility for that church plant to see it through until it's actually self-supporting and on its own. And then there are many churches that are supporting churches. In a lot of ways, you can be a supporting church, but the primary way is just simply to make a commitment to pray. And so maybe as you... Um, As you're here on a Sunday morning, every Sunday morning, you might just think, okay, today, 20 to 25 new churches are being planted and started today. And just, even though you may not know their names, just pray for those 20 to 25 uh, new churches every Sunday. And, uh, and hopefully at some point you'll, uh, you'll know one of those church planters personally and pray for him and his family as they're, uh, about this this work. I want to give you just a quick picture of what North America looks like because I mentioned church planting, which is the send network portion of what we're doing. That's all that we're doing in church planting. But then there's also send relief. The send relief is is disaster relief and all of the compassion ministries that we encourage all over North America. And of course, with everything that's been going on in, in Louisiana with all the flooding and now as a result of Hurricane Matthew, we have disaster relief teams everywhere working overtime. And, uh, and we're a part of that and your conventions are a part of that and everything that's happening. But I want to give you a little picture of what North America looks like. In, uh, I'm going to have to turn around here. Uh, there were some cells right before this, I believe, gentlemen. Um, if you could find those for me. Um, in Mississippi, there's one Southern Baptist church for every 3,200 people. We wish every state looked like that, but unfortunately they don't. Uh, the next cell in uh, Alabama, it's one church for every 4,000. And uh, if you go to the next one in Virginia, it's one church for every 4,200. But now I've, your convention to, is involved in some partnerships. And so I wanted to show you what the church to population ratio looks like in some of these places where, where you're helping your convention partner. So if you go to the next one, in North Dakota, it's one Southern Baptist church for every 25,000 people. You see the difference? Uh, go to the next one. In South Dakota, it's one church for every 13,000. Of course, there's a lot of open space, as you know, in those states, but, uh, but the concentration of population means very, very few churches. If you'll go to the next slide, in Hawaii, where you're also partnering, it's one church for every 13,000 people. And uh, if you go to the next slide, uh, there's a partnership in Montreal that your convention has. In Canada, overall, it's one church for every 103,000 people. But Montreal, where you have a partnership, is the most lost city in North America. Less than 1% of the people in Montreal are evangelical, can be called Christians. And it's like one church for every 185,000 people in Montreal. And yet, in the midst of the darkest city in all of North America, the Lord is doing a great work. There have been some great churches planted there that are reaching people and baptizing people at, at some unbelievable, unbelievable numbers. It's, it's like almost seeing a, a real revival take place. I wanted to give you a picture of that so it'll help you to know how to pray for this task that, that we're about together. And uh, so, so, again, thank you for all that you do to help us accomplish that task. Uh, when, when you give through the Annie Armstrong offering, 50% of the North American Mission Board budget comes from that offering. About 38% of the budget comes from, from the cooperative program as it's allocated to the, to 
the International Mission Board, North American Mission Board, seminaries, and so forth. You probably didn't need all that lesson, but, you know, it's just good to kind of to know that, I think, and to understand how, how we work together and cooperate together to get the gospel out and to equip people for ministry. And so our theme has been, well, whatever it takes, whatever it takes to, to penetrate lostness in North America and see the spiritual landscape of North America change, that's, that's what we want to do. And uh, so we've downsized significantly in staffing at the North American Mission Board in, in Atlanta. And um, as a result of that, we've put those dollars into church planting. We've worked with our conventions to prioritize in staffing and, and so forth to, to get this job done. And, and it's amazing to see what God is doing all over North America in these major cities where we have a focus to plant churches and to reach people with the gospel. So whatever it takes, our theme has been, you know, not only whatever it takes, but send North America. But I, I personally, I want it to be more than just a slogan among Southern Baptists. So how is it more than just a slogan? Well, that's what I want to talk to you about today, because when we talk about whatever it takes, it translates down to the pew, the person in the pew, every person who knows Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. That's, that's what it's all about. Uh, several years ago, um, my wife and I planted a church in, uh, in San Antonio. And um, now my wife has, uh, you, have, you have to understand, my wife writes books and articles for Baptist Press and all these kinds of, she's, and many of them are called fresh ideas, you know, fresh ideas for churches or women's ministries or deacon's wives or, or whatever. I mean, I, I'm always amazed at how her brain works because these ideas just flow through her head just like that. Now, if I had a fresh idea, it would die of loneliness. Okay, but there was one when we planted this church. I, I didn't know any, didn't know much. I mean, I I knew how to share the gospel, and I decided since that's what I know to do, I'm going to equip everybody that that becomes a part of our church. I'm going to teach them how to share their faith in Jesus because that's what I know to do. I'm going to teach them to do it. Well, how, how better a way to start a church? And uh, and so when we got started, we when we finally got our our first little building to meet in. Uh, I got all excited. I, I came up with my only fresh idea that I've ever had, I think, in my life. I came up with a slogan, Pastor. If we go, we grow. If we don't, we won't. <laughs> and I thought that had a pretty good ring to it, you know. If we go, we grow. If we don't, we won't. And so I, I had some little posters and banners and all this kind of stuff made up. I put them everywhere, all over, all over the building. wasn't many rooms, you know, but they were everywhere. You, you could not go anywhere. You didn't run into one of those posters. If we go, we grow. If we don't, we won't. Now, men, you know, our wives think differently than we do, right? We got in the car one day. We're headed home from church. Dinah says, would you like a suggestion? I said, sure. She said, uh, I don't think it was appropriate for you to put those signs in the bathroom stalls. I thought, well, I never thought about that, you know. I, I just wanted to get the message across how important it was for us to get the gospel out into the community, to get the gospel out, to tell people about Jesus. If we go, we grow. If we don't, we won't. It, I guess it works in the physical realm as well as the spiritual realm, right? But in Romans 10, verses 14 and 15, I know it's a passage you're familiar with. But the Apostle Paul wrote, and he said, How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? 
And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. So in other words, what he's saying here is, is that when you're going, the Bible said those are beautiful feet. Any way you talk about it, we, we got it. If we're going to get outside the walls of the church, 99% of the lost people are not wandering into our churches every Sunday asking somebody how to get saved. If they're going to get the gospel, we got to send people out. We've got to get outside the walls of the church to get that, to get that job done. And my question to you would be, well, who, who needs Jesus? Well, everybody needs Jesus. How shall they? Who are the they that he's talking about? It's all people everywhere. That's who it is. All people everywhere. All people throughout this community. All people throughout this state, our nation, to the ends of the earth, according to the Bible. It's all creatures, all colors, all classes, all cultures. All people need Jesus Christ. One of my favorite shows on TV, and I've watched a lot of the reruns as well, was MASH. Have you ever watched that one? You know, Hawkeye and his team. And one of my favorite scenes in MASH was one, one scene where they're sitting in, in the swamp. That's where, that's where their tent was, and they slept. And Hawkeye sits down on the side of his bunk, and he pulls off his army boot, and then he pulls off his socks, and he starts wiggling, and he's wiggling his toes, and he starts waxing eloquently about the wonders of the human foot, how many bones it has, how many muscles, how many ligaments, you know, and all this, this kind of stuff. Well, why talk about the feet? Because the simple message is this. If our feet don't go, the message of the gospel doesn't go. It's as simple as that. And so I want to talk to you about that this morning to just kind of challenge you. Now, uh, before I move on, you, if you received a card, uh, a prayer card like this this morning, why don't you just... If you did not receive one, lift your hand so our ushers can get one to you, okay? And I'll tell you what to do with it at the end of the service, okay? We got, got one down here and one back there. Anybody else? If you didn't get one, would you raise your hand? There's a couple over here, okay? Now, just hang on to these. I'm going to tell you what to do with them at the end of, of the message today as part of our invitation. Somebody already, some of them already put them in? Okay, that's fine. Hopefully, they signed them and filled them out. But um, whatever, there's another hand back, back over here. A couple of, some more back here. Yeah, right back over there, Bob. Thank you. Yeah, there we are. When I think about what it's going to take to penetrate the lostness of North America, the first thing that I think of and that this passage emphasizes is that it's going to have to take a fresh conviction about the lostness of people. A fresh conviction about the lostness of people. People without Jesus Christ really are lost, and they are doomed for an eternity in hell, separated from the eternal God and His love for them, only knowing His wrath for all of eternity. In, in, in Romans 10, verse 1, the apostle said, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. This, this was a priority for the Apostle Paul to reach the lost. But in, if you look in chapter 9, uh, verse 3, he said, For I could wish that I myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. What was he saying? He was saying, I have such a burden 
for lost Israel that if it meant God would send me to hell as a result of that, they would come to Jesus, I'd be willing to make that sacrifice. That's the burden that he carried for the lost. Jesus had a burden like that. He said the Son of Man came to save lost sinners. He said those that are healthy don't need a physician. He had a burden for the lost. That's the reason he went to the cross. He went to the cross because he knew that without his sacrifice for our sin, without his resurrection, without his forgiveness, without his relationship in our lives, there would be no opportunity for us to know eternal life and and the presence of God for all of eternity. He knew, and the Apostle Paul knew, that without that relationship with Jesus, we would never know what it was to experience the glory of God in our lives and through our lives and the forgiveness of sin and the promise of eternal life and what heaven's going to be. So they had a conviction about the lostness of people, and I think that that's a conviction that we've got to rediscover in our churches. In our personal lives, we've got to rediscover that. Because too many of us look, look at lost people as, as enemies instead of potential brothers and sisters. And too many of us look at people and say, well, you know, they're good folks. They're going to get there. Well, they're not. Not without Jesus Christ. That The only way people get into heaven is through a relationship, a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And what did God say? He said, it's not his will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Right? That all should come to repentance. So we are never more in tune with the, with the heart of, our, of God and Jesus than when we are out here sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with others. And you know what? If you've experienced his salvation in your life, you know enough to tell somebody else how to get saved. And so if you hadn't got it, then you need to come and get it this morning, right? If you can't tell it, you hadn't got it. That's kind of the way I look at it. Whatever it takes, it's going to take a new and fresh awareness and conviction about the lostness of people. Folks, people really are lost. We were at a Billy Graham crusade one night, and our neighbor got saved. And when, when we were out here kneeling with people in the middle of Dallas Cowboys Stadium, pouring down rain... Here's what my neighbor said. I don't know why it took me so long to come to this decision. I only know that I was lost out there somewhere, and I realized I can't help myself. I was lost out there somewhere, and I realized I can't help myself. Folks, I want to submit to you this morning that I think that there are many lost people who are more willing to admit they're lost than oftentimes we in the church are willing to admit We've got to come to a fresh conviction of the lostness of people or we will never, ever make it a priority in our lives to be sensitive to the leadership of the Holy Spirit to share with those that we meet a positive witness for Jesus Christ. But it's not only going to take a fresh conviction about the lostness of people. Secondly, it's going to take an overwhelming sense of the love of Jesus the lostness of people, the love of Jesus. If, um, if you look in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14, here's what, here's what the Scripture says. For the love of Christ constrains us. For the love of Christ constrains us. 
It's, it's a Greek word that means for the love of Christ thrusts us out. The love of Christ forces us out. When, when Jesus was, uh, experienced his baptism, and, and Luke says the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and the very next verse says that the Spirit of God drove him into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Do you remember that? The Holy Spirit drove him into the wilderness, compelled him into the wilderness, constrained him into the wilderness. Jesus didn't go out there looking for a fight. He was compelled by the Spirit of God. And the love of Jesus should be the motivation for you and for me to share the good news of Christ. That motivation, what Jesus has done in us and what he's done for us, what he's done through and and what he wants to do through us, his love is what should permeate our lives in order to get the gospel out. Now, I want to ask you a question. How many of you have a refrigerator in your home? Okay, that's most of you. Does your refrigerator kind of look like this? I mean, ours always did. You know, when our kids were growing up, we had, had, had three kids. They're all grown now. And, and uh, our oldest son has our two granddaughters in Worcester, Ohio, up by Cleveland. And our, our daughter and son-in-law have two foster children they're hoping to adopt. And they're church planters in, uh, a church planter and a worship leader in Indianapolis. And, uh, and our second son is a professor at the University of West Florida, and he and his wife have our grandson. And, uh, and when, we, when they were growing up, that's what our refrigerator looked like. It, you know, pictures from school. If they drew a picture in Sunday school and brought it home, it went up on the refrigerator. If they got a good report card, it went up on the refrigerator. If, you know, whatever they did went up on the refrigerator. Now, it's our grandkids' stuff up there, you know, that gets up on the refrigerator. Now, why? Why do we do that? Because we love them, that's why. That's why we do it. Have you ever stopped to think that if God had a refrigerator in heaven, your picture would be on it? Or if God had a billfold, your picture would be in it? I mean, what, I want you to get the picture. God loves us, and that's why he sent Jesus to die for us. If you remember, the Bible says that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, Right? He didn't wait for the world to love him before he sent Jesus. He sent Jesus because he loved the world. And, you know, we as Christians have got to rediscover this in our lives. We've got to remember that the only way we're going to win people to Jesus Christ is we've got to love them to Jesus. We're not going to win them to Jesus by waving our placards. We're not going to win the lost by telling them how bad they are and how awful they are and how their morals aren't right and so forth. You, you, You see, lost people only act like lost people act like. You got to realize that, okay? And and yet, particularly around an election time, it really gets nasty, and this is one of the nastiest ones ever, but we want to tell everybody, the lost, that we don't like their values and we don't like their morals. They don't agree with ours. We don't like the way they walk. We don't like the way they talk. And we'll wave our placards and our banners and we'll shout and we'll scream real loud. But you know what? We're not winning anybody to Jesus that way. If you're going to win Colonial Heights to the Lord, you're going to have to love Colonial Heights to Jesus. If you're going to win Virginia to the Lord, you're going to have to love Virginia to Jesus. If we're going to win North America to Jesus, we're going to have to love North America to Jesus. That's what we're going to have to do because God so loved this world. And we've got to look at lost people like Jesus looks at them, like he looked at you and like he looked at me of what we could become once we have had a confrontation with him and trusted him as our Lord and Savior. Our daughter um, 
when she was in college, uh, she, uh, she went on several mission trips to uh, Waters, Mexico. And, of course, as a kid, she went on a lot of mission trips. And after she graduated from college, she went to uh, Sheffield, England, where she served as a youth minister in a new church start and just saw some unbelievable things happen in that ministry that I don't have time to go into. But I remember when she was a freshman in college and she called home, and instead of asking to go to a beach somewhere on spring break, she asked if we would help her go on a mission trip with 600 other college students to Waters, Mexico. So we said, sure, and we dug a little deeper, and we helped her to go. When she came back, she called us, and she said, we had 1,200 people who prayed to receive Christ this week with us, and we got all of them connected to a local church in Waters. And I remember asking her, how in the world does that happen? Where you have cultural barriers, language barriers, how do 1,200 people in one week come to faith in Jesus like that? Her response was, they saw the love of Jesus in us and the love of Jesus through us. That's what lost people have got to see in us, folks. I mean, think about the Apostle Paul. What would motivate somebody like him to walk hundreds of miles on foot, to brave up and go back into the town conditions? And when he get into town, he didn't ever know what was going to happen. You know, sometimes they would accept him. Many times they rejected him. They would stone him. They would beat him. They hauled him outside of town and left him on a garbage heap to die. He'd get right back up and go back into the town and continue to preach Jesus Christ. Why? Because of the love of God for him and the love of God in him and the love of God through him. That's got to motivate us. You know, too many of our churches are not known for love for one another and love for a lost community. They're known for their conflicts. They're known for their struggles and their problems and their constant inner fightings with each other. That just shouldn't be, folks. It just shouldn't be. When people look at the church, they ought to say what they did about the New Testament church. My, how they love one another. Look how they care for each other. That becomes a magnet to people that are lost. I I don't know how many times I've said this to churches. We don't need to give lost people one more excuse not to come to Jesus. We need to love them to Jesus. The love of God. The lostness of people. But the last thing is, you may not have thought about this, but the lateness of the times. In, in Romans 13, verse 11, here's what the Apostle Paul said. And do this, knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of our sleep, for now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. Now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. Have you ever stopped to think that time may be running out for the lost? Have you ever stopped to think that time may be running out on North America or time may be running out on our world? I mean, I don't don't know when Jesus is going to come back, and nobody knows about that. That, that, Only the Father knows that. But I do know this. When you look around our world and you see the signs that Jesus talked about, it may be nearer than any of us could ever imagine. And people are asking about it. And it's a wonderful opportunity for us to to get more bold in our witness. 
When, when evil raises its head like it is today, when there's more negative things that are happening and more attacks against Christianity, it's a greater opportunity now for us to stand for the Lord Jesus, to realize people really are lost, to show them the love of Christ, but more importantly, to realize that it is time for us to wake from our sleep and it is time for us to realize that this is, now is the time for salvation. We don't have that much time to wait. We can't think, well, the next generation will do it. We've got to have a sense of urgency about getting the gospel out into this community and throughout North America. It's been a privilege to work with your deacons and, and their wives this weekend. And I saved this story for, the, for this message because it's, it's, it's my favorite story about one of my favorite deacons. Uh, Bill and Evelyn, she was a school teacher, and Bill worked for the Teachers Credit Union. And uh, they were really faithful folks. They went out from our church on several occasions to help plant a new church. They'd go out and stay with it till it got on its feet, and then they'd come back. And then they'd go out, and they'd do it again and come back. They were just those kind of folks. When they took a vacation, they uh, would go see missionaries on their vacation to encourage missionaries. That's just the kind of, kind of people that they were. And Bill taught Sunday school in our church for 57 years. He taught fifth graders, fifth grade boys in Sunday school for 57 years. And he never missed a Sunday of Sunday school. And you say, wait a minute, you just said he went on vacation. Yeah, but he would always go to Sunday school because when he got back, he'd say to his boys, now I went to Sunday school. Did you go while I was gone? His goal every year, his goal was to get into the home of every single boy in his class to share the gospel with that boy and with his family because his prayer was, I want to see every boy in my class come to faith in Jesus and get baptized before they go into the sixth grade. That was his goal. And the Lord honored that just about every year that he taught. He, he had a passion for sharing the gospel. He wasn't eloquent. In fact, if you were going to pick out a real soul winner out of a group, he would not be the one you'd pick out. But the Lord just had his hand on him. Because he had a sense about the lostness of people. He had a conviction about that. And he just loved those boys. But he also had a sense of urgency about the gospel. Well, you fast forward those 57 years, and Bill's in his mid-70s, still teaching fifth grade boys. And he goes in the hospital for some major surgery, and he almost died on the operating table. He was in the hospital. He wasn't able to come to Sunday school on Sunday, and those fifth-grade boys asked their parents, will you take us to the hospital this Sunday so we can have Sunday school with our Sunday school teacher, and he won't have to miss? So they did. The next Sunday, he was home from the hospital, but uh, he still wasn't able to come to church, and the boys asked their parents, said, will you take us to our Sunday school teacher's house? And each one of them brought some little dish so they could have Sunday school with him, and he wouldn't have to miss and have lunch with him, fellowship with him. Amazing. It was about a month later after his surgery that Evelyn came to me because we were going through getting ready to start another cycle of equipping people to share their faith. That's something that I've always done. So we were getting ready to start up a new group, and Bill always wanted to help with it. He always wanted to equip some people to share their faith. She said, now, Bill wants to help you. 
And I said, now, Evelyn, he's, too, he's not well enough yet. You t- tell him to just get on board the next session. We'll do another one in eight weeks, and he can, he can do it. She said, well, I told him that, but he said, he's, she said, he is determined. He's going to help you. And so the only thing I'm going to ask you is please don't let him drive. And I said, okay, I won't let him drive. And he came, and he equipped, in his weakness, he equipped two more people to share their faith in Jesus during that next eight weeks. At the end of that eight weeks, the Lord called him home. What, what a way to enter heaven. Diane and I went by the house to meet with Evelyn and their daughter to plan for the service. And she said, well, let's, there's so many people. You and Diana, come back to the bedroom with us. We'll talk back there. And we got back into the bedroom. And Evelyn said, before we get started, I want to show you something. I said, okay. She said, I want you to look on that wall. And there was a kind of a plaque, a carving of a fish on the wall. Well, I love to trout fish, you know, and Bill knew that. And he was a fisherman. And, and underneath was an inscription that said, wishing I was fishing. Wishing I, I like that. Wishing I was fishing. And she said, uh, now I want you to look down underneath there. There's a, there was an old antique tackle box down underneath it. She said, I want you to look inside it. Well, I thought, you know, I'm going to find the usual fishing things, you know, lures and, and uh, maybe some reels and hooks and weights and things like that, you know. But when I opened it up, it wasn't any of those things. What he had inside that tackle box were all of his witnessing tracts, Mark New Testaments, his notebook where we trained him, He had another notebook where he had a section where he had the name of every boy he had ever taught in Sunday school. And when that boy had trusted Jesus and when he was baptized, and if he knew where he was today in jail or a judge or, you know, whatever it might be, he he had that recorded. He had another section in that notebook where he had the name of every person he had ever witnessed to but had not yet prayed to receive Christ, and he prayed through that list every single day, wishing I was fishing. Folks, until God writes that on our hearts, we'll never have a conviction about lostness. We'll never let the love of Jesus compel us, and we won't pay attention to the lateness of the times. But if we'll ask God to write that on our hearts, I promise you, whatever it takes will become more than a slogan. We'll begin to see the spiritual landscape of North America change. So in a moment, we're going to have a time of invitation. It's going to be an opportunity for you if you've never prayed to receive Jesus. The Bible just simply says in that same passage we're looking at, it says whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's what it says. It's as simple as that, just praying and asking Jesus to forgive you of your sins and inviting him to come into your life and take over. That's all that's involved. And the pastor and staff would love to share with you how you can do that if you have further questions. Or if you need a church home, it'll be an opportunity for you to come while we're singing. Come down here and, and, and tell the pastor, we want to come a part of this church family. We want to invest our lives here. We want to join hands with you in penetrating this community and the world with the gospel and the good news of Jesus Christ. We want to do whatever it takes to help you get the gospel out. But there's something special I'd like for you to do for me. I told you Diane and I planted a church a number of years ago. I was in my 20s, and there was a a lady that came up to us 
she she probably you know she seemed like she was a senior adult but she was probably just in her 50s you know when you're 25 anybody over 30 you know a senior adult and but she came up to me she said uh now I'm not going to come out and help you and Diana start that church but here's what I'm going to do for you I'm going to pray for you every Wednesday morning at eight o'clock and do you know until the Lord took her home at the age of 98, we were on her prayer list every Wednesday morning at 8 o'clock. Now, I gave you a prayer card because I want to ask you to do something for me. I'm not going to ask you to bring them down here, but what I am going to ask you to do is I'm going to ask you to make a commitment to pray for your pastor and staff as they provide strategic leadership for you and challenge you to do whatever it takes to penetrate this community with the gospel and beyond. And, um, and I know you pray for your pastor and staff, but I want you to go one step further like, like Edna did for us. I want you to go one step farther and, and, and tell your pastor, I'm going to pray for you on a specific day at a specific time and then print your name, okay? On the back side, it says, Pastor, pray with me for these friends that I'm sharing the gospel with, you know, or maybe some other prayer need that you have. And just, just jot that down real quickly. Now, what I'm going to ask you to do is I'm going to ask you to fill that out, pass these to the aisles, and then the deacons have their buckets. They can come by and pick these up for us. And then, uh, Pastor, if you and your staff will take these cards and just fix up on your computer or a calendar in the office, however you want to do it, just put on down there, here's who's praying for us on this day at this time. And in that way, whatever they're doing, if they're out here visiting a hospital, if they're in, in the midst of a prospect visit or they're in a counseling session or he's just simply in his study preparing for Sunday morning, he can look on that chart and see who's praying for him specifically at that time. Would you do that for me? Make that commitment to your pastor and to your staff and then just pass those to the aisles. Let me ask you to bow your heads with me for a moment. Father, thank you so much for this great church. Thank you for its commitment to the gospel. Thank you for these wonderful deacons and wives that we've had the privilege to be with this weekend. Thank you for Pastor Joey and Angie and their leadership and for all of their staff and for all that you're doing in and through them to challenge and equip this church to take the good news to Colonial Heights and beyond. And Lord, my prayer is right across all of our hearts afresh today wishing I was fishing. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with us? If God's spoken to your heart to come, the pastor will be here at the front to greet you. Pass the cards to the aisles, if you will, so our ushers can come by and pick those up. God bless you and thank you.